Bible this afternoon, 1 John chapter 2. I know we're all a little bit sleepy, so I'm going to be nice, and uh, I'll skip the review from last Sunday, and we'll get right into the message tonight. Uh, so 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 17, uh, and we're going to continue in our series by looking at a command, an injunction that John gives to the church. Now that he's encouraged them, if you remember last Sunday, he gave the encouragement to the children, young men, and fathers. Uh, now he is going to give them some more commands as he makes his way through this epistle. And we've noticed some positive commands, some things that they were to do. They were to love one another. They were commanded to walk in the light. They were commanded to confess their sins, some things that they were to do. Tonight, we're going to see one of the negative commands, one of the things they were not to do. And that is simply to not love the world or the things in the world. Uh, and this is, there's been a lot of confusion about what it means to love the world or to not love the world. Some take it too far and say that we have to cut ourselves off from every form of contact and isolate ourselves. That's not what John means. Uh, some will try to explain away what John means so that they can love the world. They'll They'll tie it to one specific thing so that they can love other parts of the world. But that's not what he means either. Uh, and so, uh, so tonight I want us to look at this command of uh, to not love the world and see what John meant by it and how it applies to us. Because the truth is we run into the world every day. We live in the world. We're, we're, we're in the world. Uh, and there will be temptations to love the world as we are in this world. Uh, but if we're, going to, if we're going to keep this command, we need to know what it means to not love the world. So look at 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at verses 15 through 17 and pray against the message. It says, starting in verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this uh, day that you've given us, and just for the nice meal that we had. Thank you, Lord, for um, all of those who uh, put work into it to get it ready. And uh, just pray that you bless them, Lord. And I ask that you would uh, be with uh, us now as we consider uh, the message this evening on not loving the world. Lord, help us to... Uh, help us to learn to love you and, uh, Lord, to keep this command so that we can be close to you in our life. And, uh, God, I just ask that you'd help uh, help us to put aside distractions. And I uh, just ask that you'd speak to our hearts through the message as only you can. Lord, I pray that you'd help me to be emptied of self and filled with your spirit. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first, uh, the first thing that we're going to see is the command to love not the world. Uh, it's important that we define... Uh, the word world and what John means by world. And so first I want to see what the world is not, what he's not talking about. Uh, and just uh, one example, he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about the trees, the mountains, the rivers, the things that God has created. God 
wants us to enjoy the beauty of his creation. And he even, he even gave Adam the command to, uh, to have dominion over his creation. Uh, and so he's, he's, not talking, he's not talking about creation. If you could turn to Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6. Psalms 19, 1 through 6. The Bible says that even uh, creation cries out for the, to the glory uh, of God. It declares God's glory. In Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, uh, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Uh, right there in the beginning, it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, you, you look up in space at night, and you see all the stars, and you consider the intricacy of the heavens, and all that God has created, and how uh, throughout the ages, man has been able to use stars, for instance, to guide themselves. You think about the wise men. That's what they did uh, as they were traveling to Bethlehem. They followed uh, the star that God had created for them to find the Messiah. And the heavens, they declare the glory of God. Also the firmament, it shows his handiwork. That's the idea of the earth and all the things in the earth. Uh, we, we, can, we can think about the vastness and limitlessness of space, and then think about the smallest molecule in the microscopic world, all the way from that tiniest atom all the way to the outer reaches of space. God has created all things, and it all declares His glory. It all points to a God who is a God of order and a God of beauty and a God of creation. And so He's not talking about creation. We should love God's creation and take pleasure in it and enjoy it and find beauty in it. And so he's not talking about creation. He's by the world. He's also not talking about the relationships that we have in this world. Uh, John's, John's not saying that we need to hate the connections in our life. He's not saying we need to hate our family, our friends, uh, our coworkers. He's not saying we need to cut ourselves off. If we did that, we wouldn't be able to fulfill the Great Commission. We're commanded to love uh, our neighbor, to love our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so uh, he, he's, not, he's not telling us to go off into a monastery and live by ourselves so that we don't love the world. He's also not talking about, and this is a, a controversial one, he's not talking about the idea of government. Uh, sometimes we can look at government, and, and I, I understand that sometimes we get frustrated at government. But God is not a God of anarchy. God is a God of, uh, of order, of law, of just justice and righteousness. And God instituted government. Uh, without, without it, there would be chaos. There would be anarchy. There would be, uh, there would be violence uh, everywhere. And so, so that's why God uh, created government. God, God does not, he, again, he doesn't bless anarchy. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 21 says this. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Uh, and so we're also commanded to pray for those in authority over us, uh, to honor authority. First Peter 2.17 says, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, 
fear God, honor the king. And so we're not told to hate this idea of authority. Uh, it's, it's important for order. Um, and, and by extension, John doesn't mean that the Christian should stay out of politics either. I think that's uh, one area where the church in general failed in the last uh, several decades. We, we pulled out of being involved in politics because we didn't want to be a part of the world. But look at where that got us. Uh, when we did not pray for our government, when we did not have an influence on our government, uh, we cannot complain when it doesn't go the way uh, we wanted it to go. God wants us to be involved in our communities. He wants us to be involved uh, in, in that realm. And so he doesn't mean government. So what does he mean by the world? Very simply, the, the, idea, the world is the idea of the philosophies, the systems uh, of this world. If you take the average person who does not believe in God... They go about their day without a care or concern about what God thinks that they do. The ideas, the attitudes, the philosophies, uh, the way that person lives, that is the idea of the world. Uh, the world is the, the idea of a life that is apart from God and apart from His Word. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, he defines it as this. The world means the typical kind of life that is being lived by the average person who has no thought of God, but thinks only of this life and world. Someone who is governed by desires and feelings. It is the outlook of life that completely excludes God. The world is the system and philosophies of the world where God is not found. And so this manner, it's this manner of life that excludes God. And all the beliefs and all the attitudes that go along with that. Uh, but by the way, all, all those beliefs, the attitudes, the ideas of the world, they don't originate with the world. They originate with the prince of this world, which is the devil, uh, which is Satan. John chapter 12 and verse 31 says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus was teaching in that passage there that there, there's coming a day when he is going to set up his kingdom on the earth uh, for, uh, for forever. Uh, and he's going to remove the prince of this world. And that's talking about the devil. And the devil is called the prince because he's not the king. God is the king. He's the one in control. He's sovereign. And for a time, he allows the devil to uh, roam the earth, uh, to, to tempt men. Uh, you think about Job and how God gave him permission to tempt Job. Uh, and so, but one day God is going to completely remove him. Uh, and so, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says this. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan, he's the the little G God of this world, uh, but he is not God. God is God. God is supreme. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, if you would. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quickened, it means to be made alive. It's talking about when we got saved. Verse 2 says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Uh, so before we got saved, we were under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. But we've been freed from that. And now we serve Jesus Christ. We serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, and so this world, when John talks about this world, again, he's not talking about creation. He's not talking about relationships or this idea of government. Uh, he is referring to the system of this world that wants to ruin those things that God has established, that wants to ruin the way God intended things to be. And so I want to use those examples that I mentioned, creation. Uh, God gave us creation to enjoy. Uh, and so loving the world means loving ideas that alter God's idea of creation. Loving the world means, uh, means putting creation above God, uh, worshiping it before we worship God. You think about relationships, families. Uh, God, God has laid out in his word what a family is. And so loving the world means loving ideas that are opposed to God's idea of the family. And so if we love the world, we will love those ideas that are contrary to what God says a family or our friendships ought to be like. Uh, and you think about the idea of government. God created government to be just and to be fair. And so if we love the world, we will love ideas that are of government that are unjust and that are unfair. Uh, and so we need to be careful that we do not love the world. And, and, and so I want to see why. Why should we not love the world? Look back at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... And the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. When we love the world, we are not showing the love of the Father in us. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Very simply, if we love the world... We are not loving God as we ought to. Um, we can only love God or we can love the world. We have no middle ground. We need to decide that we're going to love God. And so if you've been born again, if you've been saved, our love needs to be directed towards God and not the things of this world. Uh, we, should, we should love and enjoy creation, but to elevate it above God is to love the world. Uh, we should love authority and order, but to love ideas that are opposed to that is to love the world. We, we should love our relationships, our friends, but any idea that uh, seeks to tear apart friendships or families, if we love those ideas, we are loving the world and we are not loving God uh, because we do not love his ways. And so we need to be careful that we don't love the world. Number two, and this is the last point, uh, love not the things in the world. So we should not love the world and we should not love the things in the world. Look at verses 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God 
abideth forever. Before we jump into these three areas that's listed, it's important to know what he means by lust. And the word lust there has the idea of an inordinate affection or desire for something. Lust means the abuse of something that is natural and perfectly right and legitimate in and of itself. Lust means that instead of controlling our desires, we allow our desires to control us. And so he brings up the lust of the flesh, uh, the lust of the flesh. And a perfect example of this is uh, the area of sex. Within the confine of marriage, it's, it's natural and right and good. But the world twists that. Uh, and you think about the ideas of idolatry and fornication and pornography. Uh, those things are not, they, they are lust. They take what is good and right and they make it uh, wrong. And they turn it uh, away from what God intended. Uh, this is, uh, food is an example of this, uh, the lust of the flesh. Food is something that is good and right, and I enjoyed the food today. We should enjoy food. Uh, there's something wrong if you don't enjoy food. But when we allow the desire to, uh, of food to control us and not the other way around, that's the lust of the flesh. Uh, and so the lust of the flesh, it's uh, is a desire not fr from God. It's, a, it's something we need to avoid. One of the most prominent, prominent uh, Satanists in our time had his expression, do as thou wilt. Uh, that's a worldly philosophy because it is against what God tells us in his word. We should not live as I want to. We should live as God wants us to live. We should live according to his uh, will and his way. Another philosophy of this world uh, is if I'm not hurting you, then you shouldn't be bothered by it. But the truth is we should be bothered by uh, a loved one who is going off into sin and hurting themselves. We should have compassion and we should want them to be saved and to do right. It should cause us to concern, to be, to be moved by compassion for them. Uh, and so we should not love the lusts of the flesh. We need to control our appetites. There's nothing wrong with certain pleasures that God has uh, allowed us. Uh, God wants us to enjoy his creation. But again, we do not let those things control us. So the lust of the flesh. Uh, number two, he talks about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. It's a kind of vanity that delights in... Uh, pomp and splendor. In other words, it's the obsession wa with wanting to improve our, our self-image to make us look good. It's this obsession with, uh, with lifting up our, ourselves. We can see it all around us today in our world. How many people spend hours and hours trying to get the perfect picture so they can get a ton of likes uh, on their social media so that they can feel like they've done something? That's the lust of the eyes. It's a, it's a craving for pomp and splendor, for wanting to, be, uh, wanting to be great in the eyes of others. It's a show. It's a show. But uh, the, the best way to put this is that the lust of the eyes, it's living a life according to false values. It's judging by appearance um, and show, an outward show. It's also lusting after objects. It's, uh, the Bible uses the word covetousness. When we see a car that we like and we think that we need it, uh, and so we do everything we can to, to get that. We're living under the lust of our eyes, the things that we see. 
Last year, in North America alone, uh, it's estimated that $249.8 billion was spent on advertising. Uh, in other words, $249.8 billion was spent on the lust of the eyes, and it's down to a science. This year, they say because of COVID and people are spending more time online, uh, it's estimated $282.8 billion will be spent on marketing and advertising and the lust of the eyes. Uh, think about how many people spend money that they don't have for things that they don't need all to keep up with the Joneses and to keep up appearances. It's the lust of the eyes. And so we should avoid the lust of the eyes. We should also finally avoid uh, the pride of life. The pride of life. And this is probably the biggest threat uh, to us all. It's, it's much more subtle than the others, but it's just as dangerous. We can see the pride of life everywhere we go. It's the pursuit of self-glorification, often at the expense of others. And it shows itself in many different ways. Uh, the pride of a name the pride of our industry, the pride of uh, the family blood in us that we had nothing to do with, the, the pride of our nationality. Uh, and by pride is, is meant that we look down on others who do not belong to the same group as us. And that's something we need to be careful. We, we are not better than anybody else because of some area of our life. We've all been created in the image of God. But we live in a society today where many, they are anxious to want to belong to a certain group. They're anxious to have a label attached to them. That's the pride of life. Because you think about it, in eternity, none of those labels uh, are going to matter. What's going to matter is, did you live for God? Did, were you saved? And did you use your time to serve uh, the Lord and walk with Him? Because you can spend your, your whole life. Uh, making sure everybody knows that you're the best at this, or you belong to this family, or you had this trait, uh, you, you belong to this club or this social status. But in eternity, we all stand on level ground, uh, and so we need to be careful of the pride of life. Colossians chapter three and verse two says, "Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth." Our affections; those are our passions, the things that move us. So the, our, our desires, the things that move us in this life to make decisions should be the things of God, the things of heaven, not this world. And it's, it's pride. Uh, and so when we got saved, all of these labels that the world wants us to, to tack on to ourselves, none of that matters. Galatians 3, 26 through 28 says this, For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, in other words, when we got saved, none of those temporary earthly labels matter. What matters is that we belong to the family of God. And so we see why should we not love the things in the world. Look back at our text, 1 John 2, 16 and 17 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. 
We should not love the things in the world because the things that are in the world, the, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, none of those things last. Uh, again, we can spend our whole life trying to satisfy the lust of the flesh or trying to satisfy the lust of the eyes or the pride of life. But at the end of our life, when we stand before God, all of that is not going to matter. Uh, and we will have lived a life in vain because we were going after the wrong things. And so we should not love the world or the things in the world. Uh, those who, who do love the world and the things that are in the world, they do not love God. Our love cannot be divided. We must choose where we're going to direct our love. Are we going to love the things of God? Are we going to love the word of God, uh, the people of God, the will of God, his way? Or are we going to love the things of this world that are fleeting and that don't matter and that don't last in eternity? And so tonight, I hope we're challenged not to love the world, not to be controlled by the lusts of this world, but to be led by God and his word. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this night that you, or this day that you've given us, and uh, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you'd help us 